Hello, lads. Welcome to episode NC-17. No, just kidding. Not, not to that level. Just casually episode 17 of Don't Mess With The Metro. So the uh, trio is uh, here today. Daniel, Andrew, nice to see both of you on this fine day. Yeah, it's great to be back. Um, things going well. Nice old weekend. Only Well, really, the weather was awesome this weekend, and now it's going to be turned to garbage, so... I love it. Your uh, your baseball is approaching ever so shortly. Whenever it might pop up, it's uh, it's almost that time. Same yeah. for our favorite sport. I love it. It's always well. I was gonna say it's always sunny, but definitely not always sunny here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not really in Philly, so can it really be always sunny there? I sure as hell would hope I'm not in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> we like to say it's always sunny, but what kind of sunny are you talking about? Still hold to fact or hold in regard that that show, like people always say it's ter- like a group of terrible people. And I respond, well, it's an accurate representation of Philadelphians. So, <laughs> man, if only, we, if only we had a Flyers analyst so that he could uh, dunk on us for this all this uh, slander, which is uh, coming forth. But, well, uh, it's a casual weekend for many of us, and over those past few days the nhl rounded up their awards finalists of the many of the major trophies of which we are all vastly familiar familiar with in particular the heart and the selkie heart selkie and as well as the norris were announced over the past weekend but we thought we would take a little bit of a dive into some of the other awards that were announced a little bit earlier from from a week back, um, I uh, told this with Andy earlier that maybe we would uh, start things off looking at the uh, Jack Adams Award. We've got uh, finalists are Bruce Cassidy, John Tortorella, and Alain Vignon. Three, these are three coaches who have done various great work for their team, as you might imagine. Uh, I think a couple have had different sort of situations from another, but Andy, I would like to start with you uh, i guess how do you feel necessarily about one of these candidates in particular well i'm gonna go ahead and say it first and foremost how in the hell is elaine Vigneault a finalist for jack adams like that just makes absolutely no sense congrats he got a hot a team that ran a hot streak really right into this whole break that's the only reason that he's there like if it weren't for that the Flyers would just be a middling team that, I mean, if it weren't for all their trade acquisitions or acquisitions hitting their stride right away, yeah, they would not be in this situation whatsoever. Because otherwise they'd still be like a, maybe in the uh, realm of like the Carolina Hurricanes and the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, that sort of point range. Because, yeah, they just really got hot at the right time and, that's all it was. It wasn't like he had to battle so many injuries like Torts did. It wasn't like he had a whole dominant uh, season-long performance like Cassidy's uh, Bruins did. No, the Flyers just got hot at the right time and as a result have this bye and now are basically like just playing for seeding. And they, they, for some reason, this is grounds to give him the award. No, miss me with that. Hot takes right off the bat incredible not even holding back i'm well, kind of in the same boat there too this it's is the, time to dunk on uh, philly so 
<laughs> Honestly, I'm just going to divert my time right back to Andy. I want to keep hearing this. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's something that when you have a goaltender that is just fend or like feeds off of playing at home and is complete garbage on the road, yeah, of course you're going to put up great numbers and you're going to win so many home games. That's all they basically did. Like, they got peppered with uh, shots on the road and in typical um, fashion of not only his coaching, but the assistant coach, uh, Mike Yale, Yale from uh, the Wild for years. They went to the Blues, and as soon as they fire him, they win the Cup. Crazy how that works. But, <laughs> no, yeah, it's definitely something that this is also very much peak uh, only Vigneault to have, like, one great season to start off as soon as you go to a team, and then it's all downhill from there. So I give it two or three more years, and I cannot wait for the eventual spiral that is for the Philadelphia Flyers. Give it to me. So what I'm getting at is you are waiting for this team to get swept out of the f- true first round. Well, it's an Elaine Vigneault coach team. So, yeah, I am fully expecting <laughs> them to get put, like, the worst possible defensive pairings out there and the offense to go cold and hard to get peppered by shots. And because of the fact that they're not playing in Wells Fargo, he's going to be playing just road games. He's going to get shook right away. I mean, is it really a road game or is it just being in a road arena because there's no hustle crowd? So, I mean, then again, we also don't know how he plays in neutral sites. And if he plays anything like he does away from home as a neutral site, then, yeah, then it's going to be shit. And we all know I mean, that Carter Hart isn't that great of a goaltender. Carter Hart reminds me of what Matt Murray was in 2017. Matt Murray I mean, was both. supposed to be the future, supposed to be the promise. And I don't see much from Carter Hart. Yeah, he's a little bit quick. Yeah, positioning's all right. Uh, but I think it's more luck than skill. And sometimes it is better to be lucky than good. It's just not sustainable in the NHL, especially this day and age. I was going to say, sure, you in particular sure would be very, very aware of that, as actually both of you would. No, exactly. But I mean, don't forget, this is also in the Land Vignol team in like the first couple seasons. So it's either in this season, the following season, or perhaps the third season. He's gonna he's gonna make that run to the he's gonna make that run to the final, and then uh, just go uh, downhill from there. And, Personally, if I had if I had my if I had to put any money on this, I would, or who I think sh- it should be, I'd have to I'd have to give it towards Torts, just with the ad- just with sort of like the adversity he had to face from lo- from losing to Shane, Bob, and uh, like Jimmy Panarin free agency, he had to really work his team to replace those players well, deal with all the injuries, different goalie issues, and <clears throat> there were, and they've been one of the Toughest teams to face in the East. If I had to give this award to anyone, I would personally totally do it to him. So, but obviously that is uh, far from my control. The uh, Calder Trophy. We have uh, a few of our very own uh, college hockey stars in the mix. We have Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, and then Dominic Kubalik as your finalists. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I love Quinn Hughes and all, but I just feel like if Kill McCard does not win this, then this is an invalid award. I can kind of agree. I mean, everybody says that this is a two-man race between Hughes and McCarr, but you can't knock Kubilik or Kubiliak, however it's pronounced. Forgive me for butchering that. Um, <laughs> but the kid's got, a, got 30 goals, and he played on... Let's be honest a pretty dog shit chicago team chicago didn't really 
play all that well. And to put up 46 points in 68 games, that's not bad. 16 apples, um, obviously, to go along with 30 goals. But how can you knock this kid from being in there? And again, as being like the Ranger fan in me, a little bit homer, like, yeah, I'd love to see Adam Fox in this. And I would also love to see Fox in there for him because then you'd have three college hockey guys going for uh, the Calder. And I could just hear Don Sherry screaming right now because could <laughs> you imagine like three college <laughs> hockey guys not going to his precious seat? But then he'd also try and claim the car as um, an AJHL player and a Canadian there. But again, only thing that only thing missing is that they aren't Russian. Don't forget yeah, pretty that. much. Pretty much. Imagine a Russian college hockey player going for the Calder <laughs> and play to college. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, again, I personally, well, the... I wasn't, I wasn't excluding, I wasn't necessarily excluding him. I just personally thought that my, like my sort of favorite picks for this were sort of between those two. I mean, there's a little bit, I have some bias involved in that, but that was just a sort of reference. Now, yeah, you could say I'm sort of being biased more towards the mainstream, but you do make fabulous points on Kulik. No, I definitely agree there. Um, the ones I feel like uh, I feel bad that they got left out because obviously you kind of have to add in Kubeliak uh, because of the fact that his stats have just been, I mean, phenomenal. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he's older, but at the same time, he put up like those great numbers. And uh, I feel like um, at the end of the day, Elvis and Fox did get basically short end. Uh, Fox was incredible player, but I mean, it's hard to compare with. Makar being younger and uh, um, Hughes also being like younger, but then at the same time, um, you also have uh, Elvis just putting up great numbers. Um, I mean, he basically was the one that took uh, or kept uh, Columbus in it throughout all their injuries. Like it was nuts that he was somehow being being able to keep them afloat during that Mm -hmm. whole time. So yeah, it's it's a shame they don't get. Just yeah. out of the blue and uh, really hold, uh, yeah, put you could say uh, putting the team on their back. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean honestly, it really should be between like those three. But at the same time, it's just I'm like thinking there were other great rookies that should get some recognition. I mean, going into it, like also it was mainly a lot of people thought that it was going to be one of like uh, Makar or Hughes, and like before the season, where like people were wondering would Kako or uh, would uh, other Hughes be like the ones knocking on the door for that? And yeah, it was. It turned out that like they didn't exactly have the great, the best rookie seasons. But you know, it's the it's only a rookie season, and they're only also like 18, 19 years old. So they were going up against like people in their twenties. And honestly, I give like yeah, I gotta give them props uh, for the ones in their twenties and everything, and even for uh, Kako and Hughes. Hopefully, like when they come back, I mean. For Jack Hughes, it'll be a longer break now. Yeah. By the time the season starts, but mm-hmm. when Kako like comes back for this, hopefully he looks sharp and ready to go. Is uh, I guess he did not opt out, correct? No. Last I checked, he he should still be playing because they were doing right. like lines, and I think he was still on the uh, third line. Him. Yeah. Some, line, yeah. Uh, I thought I thought I saw some people hint at his like, doesn't he have type one diabetes? I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were talking about like he might not play. I think him and someone else out, like in uh, Montreal, was it Domi? Domi. Right. So, yeah, they were talking about those two might not play because they have um, diabetes, but they're going through it. So, you know, God bless them. Hopefully they 
player. Yeah. I'm like, no one would have blamed them if they opted out because, I mean, people yeah, would, but slight, they're like complete captains. Well, I mean, yeah, in this, yeah, the, you all know in this, I mean, just like even even taking that part out, it's all the more, they have all the more reason to if they want to. Like, we don't, I don't know what that experience is like. And then we touched upon this before. Any other time, it's just like, okay, this might be a slight reaction. Okay, this is this makes sense. That That's always various opinions. And I'm sure everyone is uh, totally fine with how, uh, how convenient it is the, uh, finalists all happen to be top three in points so lots yeah. granted maybe yeah you could have made an argument for for a guy like fox and say oh they just tried to take the easy way out but it's it's not too uh far-fetched of a of an idea to to go I mean, in this. along that road right that's why like the only one that would i mean fox obviously had like a really great season but also and then and likely got yeah, a phenomenal season, but also like uh, Elvis being able to keep his team in it. Like I thought that was warranting. But other than that, like if you're not going to go that route, and instead you go with the top three players, like in this case, <laughs> yeah, they the top three point getters happen to also be like three of the best players in in the um basically in the league yeah. at the time, like three of the best rookies. It, I don't know. It's but then like in years past, you always get like a rookie that goes flies under the radar. Um, the year that Ovechkin won uh, Calder. Calder. Yeah, I think he won it over Crosby, but then like lower, at, I think um, fourth or fifth in voting was uh, Lundqvist. So it was basically like right there in the midst of that. Um, the year that... The, do you uh, any chance you remember who the third finals was that year? Uh, let me double check. I've never... I mean... That was 2006. 2006, yeah. Not exactly pulling up our uh, stats in the most uh, convenience of times, aren't we? So unprepared. That was oh geez, Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> what? Damn. <laughs> what world are we living in? <laughs> okay, let, let me run down this. Hold on a second. There, there are some really like these names. Good God. Okay, it was Ovi was one, Crosby was two, Phaneuf was three, Hank was four. So if we could have just swapped Hank and Phaneuf, that would made more sense. But then Brad Boys is five. Brad um, Boys. Merrick Sabatos. Jeez. It was number Merrick, six. That, uh, stop. I think it was like Sabatos. Or, I don't remember. Right. He like was in the league and then went to KHL. And then he like had a brief stint back in the league again. He like signed with St. Louis. But then he got claimed by Nashville because he had to come through waivers. And then. Yeah. No, I got you. However okay, long he a, lasted. This name's a blast from the past. Andre Mezaros. Andre Mazaros. Right. Yeah. Andre Mazaros. Mazaros. Uh, Ryan Miller was after him. UC Okanen. Jeez. Uh, Peter Pruka. Good God. <laughs> like, okay, UC- now I'm just kidding. Why, did you, why does UC Okanen always sound like a very common name in hockey? I, I, I don't I don't know if that's just me, but something about it always sounded very basic. Just between him and, well, his brother gave me, like, non-flashbacks from uh, 2010 and then the rest of his career like I kept thinking back to 2010 <laughs> um, couldn't score a shootout goal but the rest of, yeah but UC was definitely because the two of them bounced around a lot I think uh, UC was like with Dallas they went to Tampa Bay Carolina Pittsburgh Florida and towards the end he was just touring the west coast it was, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's probably just because 
UC Yokin is a name you maybe wouldn't want to try to say 10 times fast. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, never forget uh, Cam Barker was the uh, third overall pick in uh, 2004. Yeah. So, that... <laughs> quite, a draft, quite a draft class and uh, quite a position. <laughs> but, well, if we, uh, now as we move down our list, we have we will touch upon the uh, Lady Lady Bing Award, awarded for the, to the uh, player, or as a lot of the fans seem to think this is, the forward who uh, commits the fewest penalty minutes and uh, puts the uh, most uh, offensive production on the ice. We have Nathan McKinnon, Ryan O'Reilly, and then uh, our, one of our fan, one of our favorites, Austin Matthews. As the finalist for this award. You know, I'm going to jump in first on this one. And I'm going to drop a hot take. It's my turn to drop one. Go ahead. <laughs> to me, this award should kind of be a little bit of a slap in the face. Because if you're not putting up penalty minutes, then that means that you might not be playing aggressive. And you may not be going into the dirty areas. And you may be afraid. You might be playing scared. So... I mean, if you think about it, a guy who only has four penalty minutes, yeah, he might be viewed as a clean type of player who doesn't fight, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. But you think that maybe he is kind of lazy in his back end. Maybe he doesn't want to play defense. Maybe he's afraid to stick check and is easy to skate around and maybe a one-dimensional player. I don't know. I think this award kind of somewhat rewards being a one-dimensional offensive player. I can see where you're getting at. I can definitely see that because of the two names, um, Matthews and uh, or, sorry, Matthews and McKinnon, McKinnon, neither one of them are really seen as like defensively oriented. They're more seen as offensively gifted. Mm-hmm. But the other name being Which is Ryan fine. O'Reilly. Fine being who has, oh, no, yeah, I agree. Like If you have your game and you're obviously you're seen in your team as the one who's supposed to score, you want to be able to score. So that's, that worked for those two. But when Ryan O'Reilly's in there, who we all know is a great two-way forward, like he's established his, through his career. When he, was with, uh, when he was with Colorado at the beginning, I think he was a finalist for this award, and I think he won it uh, in like 2013-14 or something. Um, but he was a finalist for it back then. Um, in the past, Patrice Bergeron was a winner of this award, I believe, because he also plays like a great two-way game. Um, we've had, like, there are, for certain players, this does apply to them that really well because of the fact that if you're able to play defensively and not take penalties and you're playing, you're keeping your team, like, even strength as much as you can, that should be commended because of the fact that you did, like, yeah, you didn't uh, get, maybe sometimes some players didn't go into gritty areas, but you are a defensively oriented player. You have to go into gritty areas, but you still made sure to play a clean, defensively-minded game, so... That should be at least somewhat commended. Pavel Datsuk, too. Also yes. a frequent winner as well. Yeah, which is fine. But um, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do it. But I'm going to throw it out there. I don't agree with it. But you mentioned the name Pavel Datsuk, who may or may not fit that Russian stereotype of not playing defense. <laughs> but I quote-unquote... Um, I wouldn't say quote-unquote. That's the wrong term there. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, I just guess this. not again, not being a one dimensional player, but just being very <laughs> offensive minded, very offensive oriented, and <laughs> the, a lack of exactly. playing defense is a better way to put it just a lack thereof of it. And when was the last time a defenseman was 
even considered for the award. Seriously considered for the award. Seriously, I mean, I mean, I, you would have, I mean, how do you define seriously considered? Because that leads into another point I was about to make. Like, do you mean like being a finalist or giving a lot, getting a lot of media attention? I would say being a finalist. No, no, no. I would say getting getting a, a mixture of both being a finalist and getting a lot of media attention for if it. If I'm not mistaken, the last defensive finalist was quite some time ago. It's like a long time. I don't remember the year exactly, but it's it might be original six days. Which which also brings me to my point that uh, Jacob Slavin got a little bit disrespected here. Mm-hmm. The last exactly. one I think that I remember winning it was Brian Campbell in 2011-12. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, Let's that see. was Brian Campbell then. Um, but other than that, I mean, Mar- Martin St. Louis won it a couple times. Now, granted, he wasn't exactly the most defensively oriented. But Pavel Datsuk, I'm, I'm going to circle back to that. He was definitely more defensive than you might think. Like, this is someone that played a full... Um, Have you, like, seen his... All of his like back check videos and how many times he would stick lift other guys, strip the puck, take it away, and go back down the ice. Like that man always for part like in uh, sort of like you know like in like 2010 or whatnot. In 2010 or whatnot, my dad would always look at me, would always look at me and sort of be like, "Hey, here, look at Pavel Datsuk. Caps Russians should be more like him in his defensive game." Do you understand kind of where I'm going with it? Because you should be awarding a, def- a good defensive skill while being able to maintain control of the kind of skater that you are and the kind of player that you are. Yeah. Because by doing that, that's showing sportsmanship. Penalty minutes, because you have the least amount of penalty minutes, may not mean that you're truly being a sportsman. You know, you're, you right. could yeah, there's some good penalties you take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Sometimes, like, you have to take a penalty to save your team. You think a guy's going to think, oh, shoot, if I don't trip this guy on a breakaway, um, all of a sudden... I'm in the conversation like, for an, a regular season award. Yeah, I, like, if I don't... Say it's game 82, and 10 seconds left, and you need to win this game, uh, you can't give up a point, and you make the playoffs. Um, and player on another team has a breakaway. If you trip him you might be able to figure out a way to finagle it into a non-penalty shot. Maybe that helps you out. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different scenarios that you could play out. I mean, we talk about it plenty of times. Vision's always 20-20 in hindsight, and you could always replay scenarios and a bunch of things that go on. But anyway. Well, I do think that segues us very well into our Selkie finalists, which specifically talks about the best defensive forward we have. Ryan O'Reilly, once once more in this one. Patrice Bergeron, a frequent finalist for this award, and then Sean Couturier as well, another another Philadelphia another Philadelphia man on the uh, awards finalists on this season. One thing that's been interesting to read with the uh, Selkie Awards is how, if if I'm saying this correctly, a lot of them seem to be necessarily they seem to give them to the players who like. Or like centers who get the most points, or I this is this is something I was reading on Twitter, and then and that like some fans like believed that this was sort of the stereotype that was being highly involved with this. I might be totally making this up, but I thought this was something that was came across, which was a interesting take. Which do you think about? Yeah, honestly, um, this one I thought that they did 
get them correct, I really, I mean, I can't really argue against uh, Couturier as much as I want to. Just really like, I, I unfortunately I can't um, in this situation. But there were, I was wondering, like with um, obviously with O'Reilly and Bergeron already winning in the past, they definitely had like the inside track there. But um, I was wondering for this one, I'm surprised that we didn't see someone like um, Marchand and uh, Pasenak or someone um, like uh, Tara Vinen, I thought, was low-key sneaking his way in there. Because if you watch a couple of like uh, Hurricanes games, he a really great two-way, uh, two-way game. And he really helped out their defense, which they're going to need the help now that they trade for Shea. But yeah, we'll see. I honestly was surprised at um, a couple of the omissions there. Honestly, also, like, um, Braden Point, I thought, played a really solid defensive game this past year, which helped uh, Tampa Bay. And it really, I thought, rounding him out because many people talk about the fact that like, last year he put up over 100 points. This year he was playing a lot more defensively minded. So, yeah, I was surprised by the names that came out. And I might be biased when saying this, but... How has Nicholas Backstrom not been the finalist all these years? I mean, I'm, like I said, might be biased, but just just a thought. Andy pretty much hit the nail on the head. Don't really have much to kind of add um, other than just regurgitating what normally is just a bunch of bullshit for him. But what can I say? <laughs> I mean, he kind of nailed a kind of nailed a lot of the uh, points on the head of what to think about, and a lot of those. A lot of those finalists are, I mean, Bergeron, O'Reilly in particular, have always been have always been fabulous two-way players. And then the fact that they put up a lot of numbers, too, really sort of is the tiebreaker in this regard. It feels like a lot, which is a fair, which I think is a relative, which is a fair assessment. Even, even if it might says it's typically the best defensive forward, they also really like to reward the players who are not solely focusing on their defensive effort, but on both ends of the rank. Because, yeah, because they say defensive forward, not necessarily two-way player. So, I mean, we talk about uh, defensive forwards and their two-way play, but they don't exactly do a third-way play. And that is how we now have come upon our Vesna Trophy finalists featuring Tuka Rask, Connor Hellebuck, and Andre Vasilevsky. I think, a, I think a lot of a lot of fans sort of are not exactly huge fans of Vassy and think that he tends to maybe be overly promoted a bit much. And personally, if I had to say it, Hellebuck's a pretty big sleeper on this regard, but I'm really liking Zuckerask just right now for the season he has had. The Jets are not where they are where they are right now without Hellebuck. Honestly, Plain and yeah. simple. Yeah. Hellebuck has stood on his head. He had one little down year. He deserves to win this award, plain and simple. If he doesn't win it, there is something seriously mm-hmm. wrong and flawed in the way that people evaluate goaltenders. Considering that they already screw up, but yeah. Yeah, considering that Hellebuck could be like an argument could be made that he could be a hard a hard uh, winner. Yeah, he definitely deserves a Vesna. because he put like as the same thing Dan said. He definitely stood on his head was insane in that for a good chunk of those games mm-hmm. and it's no disrespect to the other ones like obviously Tuka Rask despite what some Boston fans who still are like fuming with him over the past couple of uh cup games where he blew it in 17 seconds and then 
last year. But um, even though none of those are exactly his fault. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I mean, he got them there for that far. I mean, like, that's Boston fans for you. So. Well, this is true, but but yeah, no. It. I mean, it's no disrespect to him. No disrespect to Vasilevsky, who still is like in his own right. Yeah, he has a great team in front of him, but he's still playing up great uh, stats himself. I mean, he's still their best goaltender in almost a decade, even more than that, probably because way better than uh, whatever lurch they had before um but otherwise yeah he's been an insanely solid goal like netminder for them and it's just a matter though that this year hellebuck was just like a god amongst men in that some games he was just turning him away and he yeah he basically brought winnipeg to where they are right now to be like otherwise they might not even have mm-hmm. been in this conversation like they might just be golfing you do make a good point that Hellebuck probably did certainly did not have as much of a good defense around him as, say, Tuka did, despite the fabulous numbers he put up. But that also brings me to a slightly hot take I have to drop on the timeline on her on the timeline and on and on this uh, show as well. Is uh, get yourself a goalie like Andre Vasilevsky who can who can go from being a like top three goalie in the league. To then suddenly, when he has to face the Capitals, he basically becomes a glorified Mike Smith from 2010. That's just me, though. I don't like the Vassy slander. I'll be completely honest. I'm just um, saying. I'm just saying what I have seen. It feels like eight, ninety percent of the time, times the Caps face him, they're always able to just pop in three goals on him, like with these. I mean, hey, at least with Lundqvist, we would like struggle to score two goals. Now, I mean. Granted, maybe I'm com- I'm definitely comparing different years here, so this is probably not one of my smarter ideas. But sort of just case in point, being case in point being, it's a relatively fair assessment, and I don't think a lot I don't think a lot of people are sort of uh, really super hyped about Fassi being a finalist. Honestly, it, the way that it is, if it's my vote, it's going Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, Rask. Great. Honestly, I was worried that uh, Ben Bishop would get snuck into this conversation, which thankfully the voters did not go that route. Ben Bishop is a big goalie. He's not a good goalie. There's a clear-cut difference, and I meant if my account wasn't suspended, I would pull out all my receipts from back from 2015 when I was trying to tell every TBL fan that just trade Bishop at his highest point and just get the most value you can for him because you have a legitimate goaltender in Vasilevsky. I mean, they traded him for an even better goalie in Peter Buda, former uh, Hershey legend there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, where's uh, Peter Buda now? Well, he's did not he, in Hershey. Did he, did he retire? <laughs> Rats. Um, I also yeah, didn't. Okay, I also didn't want that mean to be like Bassie from a slander standpoint. He's obviously a fantastic goaltender. I'm just sort of pointing out that, or he seems to be that he's just like there's at least like one. Now, you see this with a lot of goalies, of course, but there just always seems to be that one team that tends to have his number more often than not. Oh, yeah, every goalie has that. Mm-hmm. Every goalie I'm sure, has that. I'm sure, our goal, I'm sure our goalie insider uh, has a uh, has relatively good uh, takes on those. Every goalie has that one team that has their number. But just to point out, though, this was supposedly his worst year, and he still put up a 917. And honestly, can you really, with the way that the team was last year, yes, it was a fantastic team. Put up a 925. But 
you can't knock. You can't knock the guy. What was uh, Tampa's record this year? Did they get to like forty-five wins before the season stopped? No, they're at forty-three. Forty-three and twenty-one. Close enough. So, add in the six overtime losses as true losses. They're forty-three and twenty-seven. So they're a six hundred team. Mm-hmm. Which again, that's a that's Decent a good team. team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A six hundred team is nothing to joke about yep. either. Not at all. By any means. So I'm, this is not knocking on them whatsoever. But for a six hundred team, he still put up a nine seventeen as a career nine nineteen. And when did he? When was he up for the Vesna? Was it sixteen seventeen or seventeen eighteen? Again, uh-huh. I, I thought he was up for Vesna in one of those years, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, probably, back in probably twenty eighteen. 2018, okay, so he had a 920. And mind you, he had a 262 goals against average that year. Why would he not be a Vesna finalist? If he was a Vesna finalist that year, why would he not be a finalist this year yeah. when he was on pace to be to play 60-ish, yeah, 60 to 61 games? Figure they, he probably would have played seven out of the last 12. And just to be, and just to be clear... I hopefully it didn't really sound like I was saying this, but I wasn't arguing against him being a finalist oh, no, no, no. or just no, making an this observation. Is, no, this is more for everybody else who complains yeah. about having him on the ballot. Hellebuck so, was also a, was also a Fezna finalist in 2018 as well. And yeah, and they went they went up against Rene. So yeah, and then Hellebuck had one bad year, and everybody started slandering him, and look what happens. That's you know, can I go off topic here for one second? Go ahead. One thing that I hate is how fans live and die with every play. They live and die with every week. They live and die with every shot. They live and die with every year. If you want players to develop, you have to give them time to develop. You cannot rush a goaltender. If a goaltender does well in his first two to three years, most likely he's not going to develop much further than that, and he's going to fall off. Example, Matt Murray. Example number two, soon to be, Carter Hart. Vasilevsky, you could see that this kid was going to be good. You knew what you were getting out of this kid. Yeah, consistency isn't going to be there for most goalies. Name, we'll, we'll go with 10 goaltenders right now that have been consistent throughout their entire career in the entire NHL. 10 goaltenders that were consistent. If you can name All 10 time? right now. No, no uh, current, currently playing. Okay. Um, other than Hank and maybe Rene... Hey. You can't even say that Hank's been consistent anymore. Maybe just, well... Based, on his, well guess, really... based on his numbers, it started to fall off. But in his prime, yes, he was consistent. That's yeah. What, yeah. I guess Price prime would be like with... Flirt. Flirt, yeah, I guess. Price had a really small prime, though. Would you, would you would you say Flurry was same or did he sort of just like resurgent, have like a resurgence in his game when he went to Vegas? Um, uh, I'd, say, I'd say he Flurry's did regular season bit. was never the problem. Yeah. It was just his postseason, like his playoff performance That's correct. were struggling. Well, yeah. taking taking that point into account, when you have a young goaltender who is currently 25 years old in Vasilevsky, how can you expect somebody to develop properly? This is the exact same thing with teams or fans that say, we need to do a rebuild, blow the whole thing up. You blow the whole thing up, it's going to take you three years. You can't complain about your coach at that point. You can't complain about uh, different little things going on. You can't complain about fourth-line players. Bro, you because, gotta get those. You gotta get those likes on uh, Twitter fingers. Yes. Uh, but this is, goes back to my argument from a couple of episodes ago, saying that you need good locker room guys. 
you if you have a young core, you need good locker room guys, whether they're good at the sport or not, to be in there and provide leadership, provide examples, and provide a good environment so that way these players could feel comfortable expressing themselves in the locker room and grow as one cohesive unit. You know who your core is going to be. These players that are brought in know that they're not going to be there. But when you're on a losing streak and you have these young kids that are playing at, we'll say you have a kid playing at Duluth the past couple of years, winning two straight national championships, they're not used to losing. Some of these kids also playing in the U might not be used to losing. Take a kid who's played in London in the OHL, even though they pay their players, they're not used to losing. When they come into the NHL, and they're part of a young core that's got to be brought up, and you start losing, morale's going to go down. Morale goes down. People start demanding trades. They start questioning things. They, <clears throat> it causes a sour locker room environment, and that causes problems. You need a guy that's going to be able to go in there, crack a joke, lighten the locker room up, loosen them up, and say that it's a part of the process. And that is what is part of development. You need to give it time. It's the exact same concept with goaltenders. You need to give them time to develop. You cannot rush them. It kind of goes in with my argument right now. Everybody's saying Shostorkin is ready. He's NHL ready. Yeah, he might seem NHL ready now, but let him develop. He is still raw talent. He's coming over, and the ice is 15 feet smaller on the sides. Let him develop. Vasilevsky, same thing, coming over from Russia. Ice is smaller. Let him develop. It does. A guy isn't buried in the AHL. A guy isn't buried on the fourth line. If the player is a legitimate first-line player, he will make the players around him better. And I'm pretty sure I brought that point up a lot earlier in a few, another episode. When you have a guy... Best, you, what was that? I was going to say, the uh, best uh, like case scenario for this is basically look at the story of Roberto Longo. When he was with the Islanders that, like, first year or two that he was with them, he showed promise, but he didn't, like, automatically explode. They just ditched him right away. They traded him to, uh, I think, uh, Florida. Florida. And then, yeah, he got his shit together there. He was just really doing solid, for, even with, like, a bad team there. They trade him to Vancouver. He takes him deeper than they ever should have gone. Like, he was the catalyst for that team. And then he goes back to Florida, takes him back to the playoffs. Like, he was quit on so early, and it came back to bite the um, the uh, Islanders yeah. like later on for Islanders, yeah. basically a decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and he received, Longo himself received a lot of flack like, throughout his career. Well, yes. Yeah, but, but to Dan's credit, like, he's completely correct that you need to give these players time to develop. Uh, yeah, they got to be able to... Yeah, they can't just be, like, automatically, if they don't perform right away, they quit on, like, it's just completely asinine to think, oh, we got to go ahead and swap them out right away. Because, no, you got to give these kids, like, the ability and time to be able to perfect them, their craft, not just, like, expect immediate results. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think a lot, we say this in a lot of different sports, too, just, like, not not limited to just hockey. Like, I've kind of said that I've kind of been pretty big on saying this with basketball with uh, a lot of my uh, a lot of the uh, former Duke players I watch as everyone likes to be so uh, quicky ticking and all of the, trying to call them a bust in the first year and it's just like get your head just get your head out of your world of delusion and <laughs> sometimes you just cannot 
teach stupid. So, but you can certainly teach, but you can certainly teach a lot of smart people. We like to segue into the one of the more newer awards developed in recent years, the Willie Ovi Award, awarded to, I'm probably getting the description wrong, but awarded to the uh, sort of the person who has positively impacted their hockey community, culture, and society through the game in the most positive way possible. And the three finalists are, please correct me if I'm uh, pronouncing these names wrong, sorry if I do, Alexandria Briggs-Blake, uh, Dampy Brar, and uh, John Hafferman. I had the privilege of uh, watching uh, Briggs Blake's uh, video about what she's done in what she's done in her community. As this happens to be the second year in a row, someone who has gone in at least the uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia metro area has been nominated for this award. Sorry if I repeat myself, but I had the pleasure of watching her video on her story and how she tried to build a ring. She fund. She got funds to get equipment for players who simply could not afford them and how she had to deal with the adversity of their rink burning down three years ago. And particularly with this award, you see a lot of great stories be uh, brought out and you really just see how there there are certainly a lot of uh, great people in the world and touched up upon growing the game and uh, trying to, this is going to be cliche again, but it be welcoming more so and uh, forming and trying to form better connections and relations with all sorts of people and tell you this award just really does that job very well in reaching out to a different community for the game of which we all love. Yeah, this is definitely something that I thought was like really cool when I first found out about because this is something that I mean, I feel like we never really talk about as much. Obviously in football has like the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. So I feel like, I mean, it's not the same because it's mm-hmm. not the uh, actual athletes and everything, but mm-hmm. it is really awesome to see, like, the inclusionness and giving back to the community and everything. And, like like you said, growing the sport and being able to do so is just really awesome. I feel like this is something that's one of the more admirable awards that anyone could really receive because of the fact that it's just, yeah, it's really cool to have everything uh like something positive in the news for once, basically. And this is basically that. For some of us, this is our favorite sport. What more else do we love more than people who are very like-minded of us and love love our sport a lot as well? Exactly. I mean, you really can't go wrong with any of these. Anyone, yeah. Like, it's... There are a lot. It's, like, really hard for them to narrow it down to three candidates as well. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are not nominated who did... Fabulous work too. It's tough competition. There are a lot of good people doing great work out there. Yeah, it's a shame that you really can't give the award to all three kind of thing. And I know it's kind of like participation trophy-ish yeah. to say, it's but this is something like understandable. no no action to grow the game is a bad action. It's like you can't go wrong. Any way that you can grow the game in any way, shape, or form is pretty much perfect. Like, whether it's even just having, like, a watch group and teaching young kids, like, and having, like, a pizza party, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you getting exposure and helping them grow and community. even getting them on the ice. Like, it's, you're building a hockey community. And, like, again, it's, yeah, that, that's really all I can kind of say. <laughs> 
No problem. It's, uh, we think a lot. We've touched upon these a lot, and a lot of what we say might sound cliche, but it really isn't in that regard. And I guess uh, while we're on that topic, uh, Kimalu Kim uh, recently uh, announced a partnership with uh, CM, with uh, CCM. He, according to his Twitter, he says he is looking forward to working together to make hockey more accessible to undeserved communities and to inspire diverse youth. It's time to dream and to dream big. Tell you we've uh, we've mentioned his name on the show a lot. I personally have been such a huge fan of his attitude and just sort of the way he takes out his efforts, and he really does it from a genuine perspective. So great work by Kim as always. Is uh, great uh, is great hockey has a person like him and in, uh, in our sport that we love a lot. So transitioning to uh, different ends of the. Spectrum, we have the Norris Trophy. One some, one topic I'm re- relatively been uh, intrigued by from one of the finalists. We have John Carlson, Victor Hedman, and Roman Yossi on the table. Uh, lots of defensemen who some of them have just good enough of a defensive game. Maybe not might not be the greatest defensive defenseman we have ever seen in the league, but they certainly do just enough and also put up tons of points and numbers to uh, generate headlines and media coverage. And we could have also have segued this one with our Selkie and Lady Bing award as well, considering the multiple factors that play into this award. Honestly, if John Carlson does not win this, I will be shocked. And this is not just to appease you in, in any way, shape or form. No, the, no, the term, no, the term, no, the term that you use, I can sort of, I can sort of tell the uh, sort of mindset you have at this, like necessarily. So, it's continue. Usually, and again, I usually say like the Norris has gone to the player with the most points defensively, and it kind of ignores a defensive game. But you can kind of tell that Carlson is a solid guy in his own end as well. He almost plays the role of a two-way guy that's also got an extremely strong offensive-minded game and, I guess, a puck-moving game as well. Um, And I know people hate using plus-minus, but the dude's a plus-12 on the year. And he's seeing 25 minutes of ice every night. Mm -hmm. How can you knock this guy? And if you want to go into fancy stats, and I know people don't usually like it, but his Corsi 4 percentage is above 50. So he's driving more offense, he's keeping the puck out of his own zone, and he's moving the puck up. Guy's got 60 apples and 69 games played. I don't know how many are primary, so I might have to double-check on that. Didn't do that research beforehand, but still, can you really knock the guy in at all? I mean... So I think one fair, I think one fair assessment to make is... Uh... A lot of people would think his sort of defensive game is not necessarily, it's still, it's obviously still good, but not necessarily out of this world good. Like, people, people were kind of going like, oh, he asked, like, Norris finalists, like, when, like, Malkin had, like, a brilliant goal on dressing him in the game in February that we did end up winning. But a lot of people are just like, I'll say this while I'm at it. While I'm on the air, my own fan base has this weird obsession with hating on John Carlson whenever they get the chance to. And I have never understood it the slightest. Can I offer I you a I, slightly used Mark Stahl for a John Carlson? 
Oscar Carlson, huh? If only uh, someone was really good at the thread of those tweets. A couple, a couple of us in a certain regards, but, but no, no. Re- reiterating off my point, this is a guy who I've been on his wagon since like 2010 at least, particularly after his World Junior Gold Medal game, World Medal Gold, and then in particular his rookie year. His activist point totals this year's like goals have gone up many years. Like just this past year, he was na- he was given the A on the jersey following the retirement of Brooks Orpik. Really shows his leadership and growth he had in a, in a long time. He's gotten better at the passes to Ovechkin on the power play. He's not perfect, but he's still good at it. And so, yeah, sure, there's fair warranted criticism on on that. But like I was saying, basically, key defenseman from the beginning, from like basically the beginning of Rock the Red era, that is just. Through the years, he's risen up, up, just continue to value his game, up, up, and up. We thought Carl Alsner was going to be on that same path with him, and then he had his groin surgery, and then alas, he was never the same. And naturally, Alsner also doesn't put up offensive numbers the way Carly does. So naturally, Carly was going to, Carl Alsner was going to stick away, stick around a lot longer. And quite frankly, winning the Stanley Cup in his last year of his contract, yeah, you're damn right. He's worth eight million dollars for. Eight years to be he's probably worth even more. He's worth he's worth what um, uh, what PK's making right now. Hundred yeah. percent worth what PK's making. I just looked up the numbers. He's got forty nine even strength points in sixty nine games. That those numbers alone are putting you in consideration for the Norris it's, if you're on a competent team. You honestly make a fabu- you make a fabulous point with that regard because a lot of people will point to the fact that like oh he scores a lot of his points on the power play because he has freaking Alex Ovechkin which is fair assessment I totally understand that but like you said his his even strength points is basically almost half it's basically half of his total and he basically does the other half on the power play so what I'm saying is that this guy's been a pure butt for us like through the 2010s. Kept going, going, and going. I've loved this guy since the beginning, and I've never understood why my fan base tends likes to take the opportunity to just slander him at every turn that they get. Sorry, I don't tweet about much because I was like, oh, it's like no big deal. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's not worth all my uh, effort spamming my uh, keyboard warriors on. But now, now I guess I'm on this show. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> like, it's that's sort of the that's sort of the truth of how way it works. And I mean. Roman Yossi is a fantastic uh, finalist as well. I personally think it's between him, uh, Yossi, and Carlson. I would not be surprised if Yossi ended up winning because he tend to. I think he had a better surge towards the end of the year, whereas Carly kind of had a spectacular first half, and then Yossi was sort of better in the second half. But it's uh, yeah, I'm just certainly biased, but it's something we all have to see pan out when it does. That one, I'm gonna play devil's advocate, and nothing wrong. Like obviously, Carlson, if he does win it, you know he definitely deserves it. He put up an insane year. But when I look at the uh, Predators this past year, it was basically Romeosi carrying that team down the stretch. That's like they spent so much money on Duchesne. He was only putting up like 42 points. They put so much into Forsberg. He, uh, like, I mean, he had a down year, and by his standards, he only had 48 points. The rest of the team, like, Ellis wasn't the same way. Ryan Johansson really did not pan out. They traded uh, um, to get Granlin. I forget who they gave up. 
Um, but I believe the piece that they gave up, uh, the player on the wild, like had a really great year. Grandland only put up 30 points like that team. And they really did also have a, a good amount of injuries. Roman Yossi was basically point per game and he was far and away the best player on their team, taking them on a deep run. Like, I feel like, and again, this is no disrespect to it. Even if Hedman wins, like Hedman is still a solid defenseman, like yeah. through and through, year in and year out. He's definitely, arguably, should be up there getting like nominations every year. But Yossi, I feel like this year, I mean, he just put up an insane year that it, I, I'm afraid is going to get like put by the wayside when he's literally, as a defenseman, carrying his team basically to the playoffs because there was there was a time that I mean when Laviolette got fired it didn't look like they were even going to make the playoffs and who knows if it was a regular season like this whole thing didn't happen um, they could have just very well missed the uh, eighth seed and they could have just not made the playoffs altogether but at the same time if they did make the playoffs as an eighth seed then he would have been the reason like it would have been coming out to him basically putting up an 80 something point season a la vintage uh, Eric Carlson or vintage Brent Burns. Like he, it was shades where he was carrying his team basically. Yeah. And another thing to factor is that these are all uh, pure bloods of their organization. Like they're drafted by their teams, both them, two of them in 2008, the other in 2009, respectively. So it's just hmm, following up on that point. But well, yeah. last but I guess last but not least on our little depth dive in the, uh, all the always controversial Hart Memorial Trophy. We have we have the uh, point producer Leon Dreisaitl, and then Nathan McKinnon, and then none no less than Artemi Panarin. Gentlemen, uh, what is your case on uh, Artemi for Hart? Is what I heard. Well, good old Artemi Panarin, well legend there. But first, let me touch on the other two before I get into this. Leon Draisaitl obviously is an insanely talented player. Could have argued to be the best player from his draft. I mean, him and Pasta. But honestly, he was like, he puts up great uh, numbers. He's, I think, he won our Ross, right? This, yeah. Right. So, I mean, obviously, he's going to get one of the finalists uh, nomination because he did put up the best statistical season of everyone. Then you have also, on the other hand, um, McKinnon, who the past couple of years, ever since he's no longer playing in the Patrick Watt system, has just lit a fire, and he's just been completely on point. But this past year, if anyone had ever seen, like, Rangers games, compared to really the last decade, there's been no player like Artemi Panarin that's come through in the uh, red and blue. Put up that much offense, too. Yeah, exactly. Like All the... For all the defensive efforts uh, that uh, teams from the 2010s have put in. For real, it's shades of Yager. Like the first couple of seasons that Yager was a Ranger, he was basically putting up this similar statuses. I mean, these these seasons that when the, when we watch a game, like you could see the game would completely turn around. And when you think about who the most valuable player is, it's someone that you think would be able to turn around, like makes everyone around him better. This is someone that was playing alongside Jesper Fast, a career bomb six winger who was an insane, like really good bomb six winger, but still a bomb six winger. This is also 
someone playing alongside Ryan Strom, who had been on two other teams before this and had been like cast aside as a middle to bottom six center. But he made both of them look like they were a first line team. Like he gave the Rangers finally two competent lines and the a power play that actually looked like a power play. Like for years, this team was just in shambles. And had they not had Panarin not signed with the Rangers, there's no doubt in my mind New York would not have made the playoffs this oh, year, wow. and Buffalo probably would have. Because <laughs> if he went to the Islanders or if he stayed in Columbus, yeah, they would easily be among the top. But him coming to Rangers, he put so much like onto his team, basically make the Rangers somewhat competitive and makes his case that he should be Hart Trophy most valuable player. Even though they don't tend to award it based on most valuable, which is a forever endless debate. Well, if you're going to do most valuable, yes, Artemi Panarin is most valuable to the Rangers, but what did McKinnon do when he didn't have anybody around him? McKinnon was on a better pace, arguably, with less around him than Panarin was with everybody around him. So... Was McKinnon's less, more short-term, and Panarin's was sort of more whole season... Yeah, this was um Landeskog. Different. <laughs> yeah, this was taking into account the whole Landeskog um, thing as well. So to still be able to put up dry saddle numbers without Landeskog or anybody else around him, when Panarin did split time between the top six, and again, it's not to I'm not trying to knock Panarin, and again, as a Ranger fan, I I'm not trying to at all. McKinnon's getting my vote any day of the week. Oh. It's McKinnon, Panarin, Drysaddle in that order, plain and simple. Spicy, spicy. The only the only problem I have, like, because I, I completely agree, McKinnon did have to play long-term without Landeskog and for a decent chunk without uh, um, Rantanen. But he also still had a very good, like, cast around him. And it's not disrespect to McKinnon. Because he is obviously one of the best players this past, like, easily a top three first overall pick this past uh, decade. But he is, I mean, he still also had, like, a really solid team around him. Whereas, I mean, he would, like, he was playing alongside Burakovsky, who everyone knows, like, has had really great spurts and now has found his game in Colorado. Mm -hmm. He was playing alongside um, Nazem Kadri. Someone who, even during like dark days in uh, Toronto, was still putting up great numbers. Like he was still finding ways to score, and even as soon as like they finally got a good team going, he was still also their guy to like fill out the topics. I mean, playing alongside some really good players, uh, Jonas Donskoy, uh, Valerie Nichushkin, who found completely his game and everything that. Uh, Dallas originally expected when they drafted him like they had Colorado I always thought like going into this year was going to be one of the top teams because they finally put together a whole team and they're still mad young whereas like the Rangers no one expected them to compete this year and if weren't for Panarin like where would they be I mean you can say the same thing yes that with uh without McKinnon where would the avalanche be probably nowhere near as good but at the same time, they still had a really solid team. So it's not like where the Rangers would be in the lottery this past year. And I'd probably be changing my tune about the lottery results. Um, 
with the Avalanche, like they still would be a really solid like playoff team at least. But without Panarin, I can't imagine the Rangers being anywhere near as competent as they were this year. That's def- that's definitely been my mindset too. This uh, award as well. I would totally be with you on it being Panarin, Kinnan, and then Drysidel. But right. Opinions are opinions on everything, man. Without, you know, you think that without those players, most, some of them, they just tend to be as uh, bad as as a dance fantasy team. But sometimes with those mistakes, you uh, learn your lessons. And on the topic of lessons, Andy, do you have some wise words for us for this fine week? Oh, do I ever. Well, Ooh, for this oh, week. Oh, feisty, dicey. Yeah, this one's going to be a uh, nice old throwback here. Um, folks, if I've taught you anything, it's this. If you ever ask your friend for help in the um, math department and you go ahead and receive, you receive said help, but you plug in the numbers incorrectly, do not go ahead, turn around and blame your friend. Because later on when you realize that you plugged in those numbers incorrectly, you will look like a complete dickhead, <laughs> and your friend will not be able to let you let down. Now, that was not me, but I believe someone else here can further touch listen, on this. Listen, listen. <laughs> I looked for the numbers to be at the highest because that's when I thought marginal cost would equal marginal revenue or marginal benefit or marginal value or whatever it's used as. That's all I gotta say. Right, and they were just intersecting, and they were just intersecting just for fun. You know, they just were like, "Hey, let's go ahead and meet up here for lunch." Yeah, um, (laughs) yeah, we're gonna have a practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my update on how I'm doing on freaking NBA math. I'm gonna fail out of B school, so also another thing. Also another thing to think about. If you're ever if you're ever running a time trial and you decide to put a new pair of socks on, if you find that those socks are slipping in your spikes before the, before the uh, before you run the race, take those off. Don't race in them so that you uh, don't have some uh, activity on the bottom of your foot following afterwards. Stick to the sock that is not sliding in your shoe as you would speak. So. Well, gentlemen, I think this is going to wrap things up on today's episode. We are just getting every day, just cannot get here sooner as each day is another day closer to hockey returning. And with uh, yeah, with that in mind, we cannot wait to uh, get back with all of you next week to uh, t- do some uh, final touch-ups with a couple of exhibition games set in stone. So from the rest of the gang here, take care on this fine day. Peace. Peace.